Welcome to Central Line, Leadership in Healthcare, the show that shares stories, experiences, and advice from notable and innovative leaders in healthcare. Let's get started with your host, Leah Witchick. Dr. Besner retired from full-time work with Alberta Health Services in 2011 after a 50-year career that spanned practice as a public health nurse and nurse practitioner in several communities in Canada's north, as provincial nurse epidemiologist in Alberta, as well as director of public health nursing, director of primary care development, and founding director of the Health Systems and Workforce Research Unit with Alberta Health Services. Jeanne obtained her Diploma in Nursing in North Bay, Ontario, a Diploma in Public Health Nursing from Dalhousie University, and subsequently a Certificate in Clinical Training for Nurses, Nurse Practitioner, a Bachelor of Science in Nursing, a Master's in Health Services Administration, and a PhD in Nursing, all from the University of Alberta. She is a former president of the College and Association of Registered Nurses of Alberta and past member of the Board of Directors of the Canadian Nurses Association. She was appointed to the Health Council of Canada in 2003 and served as its chair from June 2006 to October 2010. Jeanne was awarded an Alberta Centennial Medal in 2005, the University of Alberta Alumni Honor Award in 2007, and an Honorary Doctor of Science in 2017. In 2008, she received a Canadian Nurses Association Centennial Award, and in 2010, the Canadian College of Health Service Executives Nursing Leadership Award. She was invested to the Order of Canada in 2011 and was presented with the Queen's Diamond Jubilee Medal in 2012. Throughout her career in healthcare, Jeanne has stressed the importance of making explicit how registered nurses add value in the health system by helping to keep patients safe from harm and enabling individuals, families, and communities to achieve their highest possible level of health and well being. Hello, Jeanne. Thank you so much for being here at Central Line Leadership in Healthcare. How are you today? I'm doing really well, Leah. Thank you very much. It's my pleasure to be here. Well, thank you so much. So you and I have known each other for many years now, um, which has been so lovely. And I realized uh, the other day when I was preparing for our time together that I don't really know your whole story about how you got into nursing, where you started and, and where you went. So I'm curious if you'd be willing to share that with us. Yeah, absolutely. Well, as you know, I'm not a young spring chicken, so I started my um, career back in 1961 when I went into nurses training. So in those days, there were relatively few choices for um, young women whose families didn't have a lot of money to send them to university. So um, you could either be a nurse, a secretary or a teacher, and I chose nursing. So I did my uh, diploma in, in hospital diploma in uh, nursing at St. Joseph's Hospital in North Bay, Ontario, and then did a couple of years um, in Southern Ontario work Working, uh, on medical units and labor and delivery at the Royal Victoria in London, Ontario. And then a friend um, talked to me into coming to Moose Factory uh, in Northern Ontario to work for medical services in the hospital there. And uh, within a few short months of being um, at the Moose Factory Hospital, one of the 
uh, nurses in the nursing station in Rupert's house, which is on James Bay, uh, was leaving on a six-week vacation, and I was asked if I would be willing to go and relieve her. It was a one-nurse station. I was 22 years old at the time, and off I went to relieve Heather in my very first nursing station, and long story short, I spent the next 13 years of my career working in nursing stations in um, along the east coast of James Bay and Hudson's Bay, and then in the Yukon, and then in uh, the Kiwetan district of, uh, well, north of Winnipeg on the west coast of James Bay and Hudson's Bay. And um, yeah, so that's that, those were my first early years in nursing. Wow, I'm curious to hear, um, how scared were you with that first job all by yourself? I would say probably pretty scared, although you know the old saying, um, you don't know what you don't know. And sometimes <laughs> it's a really good thing not to know what you don't know. Um, I think over the you know many 13 years that I worked in nursing stations, I did run into a lot of difficult situations unquestionably. And I think had I known, you know, in those days, just how challenging some situations would be, I might never have made that first step, but I've never regretted it. It was a wonderful experience. Hmm. I'm wondering what was maybe your most memorable experience from there? Um, you know, um, one of the things that, that really was one of the most uh, difficult challenges in my career because it almost put an end to it. Uh, I started questioning whether I really wanted to stay in nursing. When I was in Great Wheel River, which is on the east coast of uh, James um, Hudson's Bay, I'm sorry, um, we had a uh, an outbreak of probably RSV. We didn't have lab uh, facilities to diagnose in those days, but it was probably RSV. Um, epidemic in the in the community and uh, we had a lot of very sick children and babies and so on as a result of that and I do remember this one uh, baby the mother brought um, I think it was a boy I don't remember that uh, to the nursing station with a very very high fever and at that point in time we already we were in that we were in a three nurse station but there were only two of us and it was a really busy time we had other uh, patients in the nursing station one of them we suspected of botulinus and um, mm. we had another elderly gentleman with um, uh, pneumonia and so on it was really busy so we couldn't keep all of them children who came to the station for um, overnight for observation. So we hydrated them, uh, made sure their temps went down and so on and so forth, and then sent them home. And in this one instance, the, a young baby about nine months old um, seemed to be doing really well. And the mother put the baby in her amotic and uh, off she went home. And by the time she arrived home, the baby was dead. Mm. I had a febrile fever in the, in the mother's amotic and, um, and just died. Um, probably just choked. And that really made me wonder whether I wanted to stay in nursing at all. I felt really responsible. However, um, I had an amazing uh, nursing supervisor who was located in Montreal in those days, who reminded me that, um, 
you know, that if we weren't there, despite the fact that we were the best that they had, we didn't have physicians anywhere near uh, the communities in those days, there were no roads in and out, it was just uh, fly-in communities and so on. She just reminded me that, you know, a, a mere eight or nine years, I think, before I was in that nursing station, there had been no health care at all for those communities. She really encouraged me to stay, and I did, and I, again, I don't regret it, but it was a real challenge that. What an incredibly difficult situation that you were presented with and obviously devastating outcomes. Um, I appreciate hearing that you had someone to help you to work through it and also recognize the the reality of of the situation, unfortunate as it was, um, and to encourage you to keep going. Um, I'm wondering, where did you go after that point? What was next for you? Well, I mean, I did uh, nursing stations for 13 years, as I said, and the last uh, set of stations that I did, I was the zone nursing officer, so supervisor, uh, based in Churchill, but responsible for the nursing stations on the west coast of James Bay and Hudson's Bay. And uh, while I was there, in the, during the 13 years when I was um, in nursing stations, I did my baccalaureate degree in nursing at U of A, so I was uh, supported by medical services. And during the period September to December, and well, you know, during the school year, I was um, at school in Edmonton, and and the rest of the time I was um, working in you know various nursing stations in northern Alberta and so on. Um, and I had while I was in my baccalaureate program, I had met um, some friends uh, who were working for the sexual sexually transmitted disease clinic in Edmonton. And one day I had a call from the um, chief epidemiologist from the province of Alberta, Dr. Frank White at the time, that was in 1979, um, who said that he'd heard about me from one of my colleagues from the baccalaureate program was beginning a new role in the province called nurse epidemiologist and he was really interested in having me applied apply I'd never met him but he had heard about me so invited me to come for an interview Um, and I was really clear with him that I was very happy with the work that I was doing and had no particular desire to change jobs but it was June and um uh, the weather can be pretty miserable in Churchill at that point in time. And I, it was an opportunity to come to Edmonton for an interview. So I came and I was just blown away by him and, and the potential for doing this job, which at the time was the very first of its kind in Canada. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I was offered the position and I left the North. So that was the beginning of my, um, a different sort of uh, experience south of the 60th parallel. Hmm. Or 40th, I should say. Yeah. What drew you to that role? To the nurse epidemiologist position? Um, Well, obviously, he was a very charismatic um, individual, made the job sound so phenomenal. Obviously, as with so many of the jobs that I've had, um, I I was absolutely not certain that I had any of the skills that were required to do the job. Um, But he obviously thought I did because he offered me the position. I mean, initially, I have to be really honest. When I came for an interview in June in Edmonton and the grass was green and there were trees, in the 13 years that I worked in nursing stations, even though I had come out of the north on occasion to do, you know, at different times to do various uh, educational programs, my nurse practitioner training and 
and my baccalaureate degree, I had never spent a summer, I had never spent a day of summer in the South since I first went to Moose Factory in 1966 or 67, I think it was. And I just was so blown away with the fact that there were leaves on trees and flowers, grass, and it was just so exciting to be to be back where, you know, away out of the tundra, so to speak. So that it was initially attracted me. And then the job became so interesting. Um, I was involved initially in setting up the um, a rubella immunization program for, uh, you know, women, obviously, and uh, tracking individuals who received it so that we, you know, those were the days, it's a long time ago, 1979, but it's hard to remember that in those days, not everybody was immunized against rubella, so we had to worry about mothers being pregnant and being exposed to rubella and so on. So um, I was responsible for developing the, the monitoring program for rubella vaccination among women. And then beginning in 1980, which was the emergence of the HIV AIDS epidemic. Um, I was very heavily involved from 80 to 86 until I left that position. Um, with the whole emergence and the, you know, the evolution of the HIV AIDS epidemic from a disease that was only known to cause unusual symptoms in young men and old, uh, old men, young and old, but a, a disease, the post sarcoma and, and so on, that was typically only seen in um, immature babies and old men, which was all of a sudden appearing in these young, vibrant uh, men and so on. So that was really very exciting. Got involved with all this stuff around, um, you know, whether or not uh, gay men or single men, I guess, in those days could give blood and uh, how you protected the population and so on. So epidemiology is a very interesting field of work. And I really, it was a, an amazing time. Mm, it sounds like it. And it sounds like you were really on the um, kind of cutting edge of a lot of that work in HIV AIDS. Absolutely. We were working in those days with the Centers for Disease Control at um, in Ottawa. And uh, a lot of the work that I did involved working with public health physicians from across the country and uh, those at the University of Alberta and um, obviously within uh, the uh, health authorities in Alberta and so on, uh, trying to understand what we were dealing with. And uh, yeah, it was a very, very interesting time. Wow. So at what point did you make another transition? Well, in 1986, while I was working as a nurse epidemiologist, I also did my master's degree in health services administration at the University of Alberta. And uh, when I finished that program, I was invited by the then medical officer of health for the city of Calgary to come to Calgary as the um, director of public health nursing for Calgary Health Services. Again, he recruited me, um, so I came. It was an opportunity just to do something different again. And I figured after I had completed my master's degree that it would be nice to go into a higher level of management. And uh, that was in 1986 at about the time when the um, framework for health promotion was really being um, promoted, um, you know, from um, um, Ottawa and so on. So it was again, a, a really um, 
interesting time to get involved in public health nursing and to really start pushing the primary health um, agenda within the Department of Public Health Nursing with the Calgary Health Services. So another really exciting opportunity. Hmm. So it sounds like that was kind of your first foray into nursing leadership or, or leadership. Uh, what I'm wondering is, what do you wish you had known when you first started doing that? Um, a whole lot, to tell you the truth. Um, I, I had done, you know, I had been nurse in charge in nursing stations, but really responsible for only two or three nurses and some uh, interpreters and uh, caretaking staff and so on. So to come from that to um, a nursing division that had 128 staff at the time, uh, seemed like a really big challenge for me, and it was. Um, and I sort of quickly realized that um, I had never worked in a public health uh, agency organization when I was doing my diploma in public health nursing, which I had done in 1972 at uh, Dalhousie University. I had followed a public health nurse um, doing my practicum and so on. And probably like a lot of other nurses at the time, I kind of thought um, that a lot of the, well, based on this practicum um, uh, experience that I had, that public health nursing was for a lot of old maid nurses who, you know, kind of work Monday to Friday and so on and so forth. It didn't seem all that exciting to me when I was doing it as a public health nursing student. But boy, when I came to Calgary and realized the, the breadth and scope of the work that we were doing um, and, and the potential that we had for doing way more than what we were doing, it took me very little time to realize that I might have bitten off more than I can chew. Yeah, but um, I, you know, I was wise enough, I think, because I'd always had um, supervisors in nursing who were um, um, sounding boards when I had um, issues and so on, I was wise enough to realize that while I couldn't have a sounding board within um, my department, uh, because I was the, the head of the department, um, I, I met uh, jo Dr. Joy Calkin, who was then the Dean of the Faculty of Nursing at University of Calgary. Um, and asked her if she would be my sort of sounding board mentor, advisor, and that was very, very helpful to me because I used to have many wonderful dinners over glasses of wine and so on with joy, um, and just talking about the challenges that um, that I was dealing with and, and learning how to overcome them. And then I realized as well that our division, if we were going to move into the future, really needed a lot of... Um, attention and I was um, fortunate in being able to get permission from the then medical officer of health who was my boss to hire us a consultant to help me learn how to um, make the division effective and efficient so he was the an organizational development um, consultant and it taught me a lot about how to think about organizing work and developing people and so on and so forth. I would assume it was a huge learning curve. Absolutely, it was. 
And um, yeah, but I think, um, you know, seven years later, I was um, pretty, when I left that position to go and do my doctorate in nursing, I think I was really proud of the work that we did. Um, recruited some excellent people, one of whom you know very well, yeah, your mom, uh, who became my associate and eventually took over my position when I went to university. So before I uh, talk a little bit about or ask you about your time doing your PhD, um, I'm just curious to hear a little bit more about your experiences with joy. Uh, and the reason being is we have a lot of people that often ask about mentorship. And uh, the value seems to be clear. But Moreover, what is the contributions that you found Joy offered you in terms of the relationship that you had? Well, you know, she was the dean of the faculty of nursing, and I had, uh, by the time I met her, I had gone through my baccalaureate degree. I had done a diploma in public health nursing and nurse practitioner, what was then called a um, um, uh, training for northern nurses program it was a six-month program not the same as nurse practitioner education in this day and age and i had done my master's degree and i had met um individuals dr um, uh, shirley stinson another one at the university of alberta who really helped me to understand um what nursing was and also what it ought to be and could be. And from the time that I first met Dr. Shirley Stinson, which was the one I was doing my master's degree, I had this, this real need to promote excellence in nursing, not just having nurses do excellent work, but have them do excellent nursing work. And that was a big, big part of what um, being able to connect with Dr. Calkin, Joy, uh, was able to help me with because we talked about the profession of nursing and advancing the profession and developing nurses who would be not just leaders who happened to be nurses, but nurses who were nursing leaders, in other words, growing and developing the profession itself in the practice of their work. And that's, I think, what I tried to do a lot of with the Department of Public Health Nursing at um, uh, Calgary Health Services. And that was where having someone who, I mean, Joy had a doctorate in, well, I don't think that it was in nursing, but she was teaching nursing at a graduate level. So it was very helpful to me to have that kind of mentorship that helped me to develop not just leadership, because there are leadership skills that are quite different from nursing leadership skills, if you know what I'm saying, right? And that's where it really was of tremendous value to me. So was that part of the uh, drive to do your PhD? Absolutely. When I was um, in 1992, um, the University of Alberta at that point in time still didn't have a funded um, PhD program, but it was developing it. And Dr. Stinson, Dr. Shirley Stinson, and uh, Dr. well, she's now Dr. Jeanette Roger, but at the time she was also a student in the program. They did um, little tours uh, throughout the province to talk about uh, the, the work that was needed to develop the doctoral program in nursing. 
um, and uh, they were trying to recruit individuals who would, you know, be um, advocates with government in pushing for the development of a Alberta-based uh, doctoral program in nursing. So um, I got to meet some of those individuals, and they really uh, stimulated my interest in going back to school. And there's no question that Joy really encouraged me to do that, as did Dr. Stinson. So. Um, yeah, and and in 1992, uh, Ralph Klein was the um, was the premier of Alberta, and he was um, kind of you know promoting the fact that we needed to rethink all of the work that we were doing in healthcare, and that if we couldn't measure and uh, articulate what were the outcomes of what we were doing. Um, that it probably wasn't worth doing. And that really challenged me to think about what are the outcomes of public health nursing and how would I measure those outcomes? Um, and if I'm going to save the department, if push comes to shove and he puts his words into action, how do I begin to mm -hmm. do that? I didn't have a clue and I decided that it would be a good thing to go and learn about that. And as happens so often with so many individuals who do a doctoral program, you go into the program thinking that that is what you're going to research and you end up doing something altogether different. But anyway, that's what drew me to the doctoral program. That's amazing. And what's so wonderful to hear about that is that you had individuals in your lives who really advocated for you and the ability to go and do that advanced education I think we're seeing a higher recognition or maybe I should say a greater recognition for the value of having that advanced ed education, particularly in nursing and taking the skills from the place that are very tactical and practical to something that is uh, much different. And, and as you said, at that point, you're then able to really enact that system change. At least you know what it is that needs to be changed. Uh, the difficulties of actually enacting the change uh, are quite another issue. And that I discovered after I finished my doctoral degree and came back to work for Alberta Health Services and was then um, eventually charged with the responsibility of a developing an, a research unit that would actually focus on uh, uh, researching in the area of nursing scope of practice, um, then I really became aware of how difficult it is to affect change at a system level. Mm -hmm. I can imagine. And so maybe on that note, what has been the biggest challenge that you have faced in your career? Well, I guess um, I would say that the biggest um, challenge is actually getting a large system to do more than pay lip service to using evidence to support change. So when in 19, oh, I don't remember what year it was, 2001, I guess, I was asked to lead a research unit that would focus on nursing scope of practice. I mean, that was the most uh, rewarding as well as the most challenging job I've ever done. Uh, because I was a relatively new graduate of a doctoral program and uh, was responsible for um, 
you know, conducting research, which uh, obviously the doctoral programs gives you the tools, but it takes experience and knowledge to actually develop that. But again, I was smart enough to know what I didn't know by then. Um, and I, because I knew what I was trying to study, I, um, I looked at who in Canada was doing work in the area that I was interested in. And there were two nurse researchers from the University of Toronto, uh, Dr. Linda McGillis-Hall and uh, Dr. Um, Doran, who were working in the area in which that I was interested in researching. And I contacted uh, both of them by phone and asked if they would be my research mentors and help me develop the research unit and the research program and so on. So I, um, I worked with them. They taught me a whole lot. Um, and they became collaborators in our research um, in, in over the, the 10 years that we did research. So that was very, very rewarding. Mm. It's amazing that you've had so many people uh, around you and you've done the work for reaching out to them and connecting them that have really been supportive and been very willing to share their knowledge and their lessons learned. Um, and I think that really speaks to the camaraderie that uh, nursing it has as a profession, which I think is maybe somewhat unique. Yeah, I don't know whether it's unique or not. I think probably it happens in other fields and professions, but it is important uh, not to think that you can do it on your own. You know, it takes a certain amount of, I suppose, humility to to recognize where your limitations are. There are always people around you who have way more knowledge than you are, and people love to share their knowledge and to talk about what they know and to and so on. So, you know, um, there are very few, I, I found anyway, uh, relatively few true prima donnas um, in the nursing profession, at least uh, among those whom I reached out to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, develop my own um, my own career, my own skills, and so on and so forth. Um, but but uh, I think that the mistake that we make sometimes is to think that it's embarrassing to admit that you don't know or you know whatever. And um, and I, I don't think you get very far if that's your starting point. So, what did nursing leadership look like early in your career, and how does it compare to what you see now? Yeah, you know I. I think as I was referring to, perhaps it's because of the era during which I learned and developed and, and not, not um, I mean, obviously, perhaps very likely because I went to school in almost every decade from 1960, 70, 80, and the 90s, right? Be, I, one of the things that I... Um, that I didn't know when I started was how much education was going to matter to me. And so during the 1970s, I did my diploma in public health nursing and my uh, clinical training for nurses, which was that program specifically intended for Northern nurses working in isolated nursing stations. In the 80s, I did my master's degree. And in the 90s, I did my doctorate. And so perhaps because of that, I was always aware of amazing nurses who were tremendous leaders of the profession. They were true nursing leaders. And maybe I knew about them because I was studying at that time and I was 
exposed to nursing literature. But also, my career evolved during a period of time when the nursing profession evolved dramatically. We didn't have very many masters in nursing programs in Canada during the early 1980s. I don't know that there were that many during the 70s. We only started having doctoral programs in the mid-1990s and so on. So one of the things that I think is really uh, differentiates leadership is there are many nurses who are leaders, but nursing leadership, so leading nursing, leading nurses to advance in the profession of nursing is a very different concept. And what I've noticed over that time um, is that we have a lot of nurses who are really good leaders in this day and age, but I kind of feel as though advancing the profession for the purpose of advancing the profession, true nursing leadership, seems to have kind of fallen off the, the cliff in the, particularly since the 2000s. Hmm. And that may be, my perceptions of that may be related to the fact that I'm no longer in the academic setting and that I retired uh, nine years ago, so I'm no longer in the healthcare setting either. But the last 10 years of my career when I was leading nursing uh, research and research in scope of nursing scope of practice and really trying to advance registered nursing practice as distinct from licensed practical nurse and healthcare aid practice or other aspects of the practice. Um, you know, you cannot be a really true um, member of an interprofessional team if you don't know who you are. You can only contribute if you have a really deep sense of the contribution that you make that is unique and different from what others make. And I feel, um, I really felt in the last 10 years of my career that there was more interest in just advancing interprofessional work and almost homogenizing the professions, which means that you then focus on what tasks people are capable of doing rather than what is the knowledge base behind the performance of the tasks. And I think that we've lost sight of how important it is to bring the knowledge of the profession to the performance of the task rather than just knowledge of the tasks in the delivery of healthcare. And I've really been disappointed in the latter part of my career that people seem less interested in promoting the distinctiveness of professions um, and are more focused on just whoever can do the task, get it done and get on with it. And don't talk to me about, you know, the uniqueness of a physiotherapist or of an RN or of an LPN or of a whatever. It's not relevant. We don't have time. The system issues that I faced in trying to promote and advance uh, nursing in, when we were doing research. People just don't have time for it anymore. They just want to get on with doing the tasks. That's really interesting. And, and what I'm wondering is what you think are the root causes behind that? I mean, you mentioned that people don't have time for it, but what else do you think is contributing to that? Um, I think that, you know, in the, I think it was in the late 1990s and new, uh, 2000s, we started hearing and it came primarily from healthcare leaders, not many of whom, you know, some of them were economists and or whatever, uh, very few of them were maybe professional leaders who uh, thought that multitasking, you know, was the, the be all and the end all. And um, as long as you could teach anybody off the street to perform a variety of tasks, that was going to make work more efficient 
And perhaps it does make work more efficient if all that you care about is getting the task done. But the important thing, I think, is not so much efficiency as effectiveness. Both are, are valuable. But you want to be efficient and effective. And effectiveness requires understanding what outcome you're trying to achieve. And in healthcare, if we're really person-oriented, patient-oriented, whatever word we want to use. It's about more than just making sure that the blood pressure was done right, which is efficiency. It's about ensuring that you're doing it in the first place if it's required and as often as it's needed and interpreting the outcomes and so on. You're trying to achieve a different outcome than just measuring a blood pressure. So, you know, what I'm trying to say, effectiveness is... Um, is a very important component. And I just think that people, um, you know, in the area of trying to cut budgets and so on, efficiency is all that people care about. And I think to the detriment of patient care. I shouldn't say efficiency is all that people care about. I'm being a little bit, I'm exaggerating, obviously. But I think that there's been too much focus on the work itself rather than the knowledge base behind the work and who best to perform it for what type of outcome under what kind of conditions in what type of setting and so on. That's really well said. And I'm, what I'm wondering is, how do we get back to that place? Well, I think, again, we need to go back to understanding what is nursing. Uh, what? Why nurses? Why nurses? Why should we have an RN or an LPN or a healthcare aide or, a, a, you know, it, and I'm talking about nursing now because that's what we're focusing on. Each of the professions uh, should be asking the same questions. Um, because um, because outcomes do matter, and I, you know, I often said uh, that as long as RNs were not practicing at the level of knowledge uh, and education that they have, I mean, I was I was president of the um, Alberta Association of Registered Nurses when it was still called that at the time that we fought to have baccalaureate as entry to practice for nursing. So I spent a lot of my time as president of ARN fighting for baccalaureate education. And we attained it uh, largely as a result of the efforts that we made in, 19, in the 1980, early part of the 80s. And then when I was a researcher looking at the scope of practice of registered nurses, I was dismayed to recognize that after 20 years of having achieved baccalaureate education and practice, the majority of registered nurses who had graduated from a baccalaureate program could not articulate the difference in their roles between themselves, registered nurse, baccalaureate educated, and an LPN, because they were all, at least in their minds, doing the same tasks. Mm -hmm. That was such a large disappointment for me that after having worked so hard to achieve a level of education that was really intended to promote the primary health agenda, you know, that's where it all came from was the primary health, um, uh, the primary health care um, conference in the late 70s, uh, where the director general of the World Health Organization at the time had said, if we are ever to achieve health for all, which was the motto of the primary health agenda, nurses will have to lead the way. And that drove all of my education at the master's level, at the graduate level. It drove what I was practicing as a nurse researcher. 
And yet I was finding that we were not embracing the health agenda. We were embracing the medical care aspect of what nursing practice was about. And, um, and we need to get back to focusing on the fact that health and well-being is what registered nurses are educated to do. And you can focus on that while you're performing a variety of tasks, but you can also perform a variety of tasks without focusing on the health and well-being at all. And that's kind of where we've come to, unfortunately. The way you describe that makes it really clear. Um, I appreciate, you know, all of those comments and particularly that last comment uh, about where that focus lies. So shifting gears a little bit, um, I'm wondering, at what point in your career did you realize that leadership was the right path for you? I'm not sure that I ever made a conscious decision. It was always, I never applied for a job. I was always invited to be in a particular position. And um, so I fell into it rather than having chosen it. Hmm. It's interesting you mentioned that because I've had a few people say that, Mm -hmm. that at no point did they ever make a conscious decision. It just, the right doors were offered up and opened at the right time. Yeah. Being in the right place at the right time. And obviously, um, when people see something in you that they think is uh, worthy of, you know, whatever it is that they're trying to offer, it's because you're doing your work probably very well. So I think being really good at what you do um, is perhaps really an important aspect of of leadership, but also responding to the opportunities that are available, even though you can be scared as anything when people ask you, would you come and do this job? And you think, why on earth do you think that I would be able to do that? Just recognize that they see something in you that maybe you don't see in yourself. And that even though it may seem really scary, sometimes that just opens the door to the most amazing experience that you would never have been able to plan for. It just happens as a result of just being receptive to opportunities that may be frightening, but that are well worth trying. Mm, that's beautifully said. And so on that note, who was your biggest champion and, and why, um, why was that? I would say probably my biggest champion, I've had many of them, as you can tell from our conversation, was probably Dr. Shirley Stinson. And I think mm. why? Because she was passionate about nursing and public health nursing. And when I started studying advanced nursing with her, um, I fell in love with Florence Nightingale and um, and a lot of my thinking about nursing came from the readings of Florence Nightingale and Cheryl just so um, appreciated that. And we used to have long, long, long conversations about the similarities between the work that Florence Nightingale was doing in her era and the work that we were trying to accomplish in the area of primary health nursing and so on, which was really uh, bringing Florence Nightingale's vision to light. Um, And so I think we just had this symbiotic relationship and she always, always, always promoted me and uh, uh, provided all kinds of interesting opportunities for me to meet interesting nurses and so on. Yeah. What an amazing person to have in your life. Yeah. And I love that you brought in the story about Florence Nightingale and, and drawing the 
the parallels between Florence Nightingale and even what we are still doing today and that alignment that uh, has crossed, obviously, um, so many years. And so looking to the future, how do we continue to push those boundaries of nursing leadership? Well, I think, again, we need to get back to the fundamentals and remind ourselves that nursing's biggest contribution uh, is in the area of the health and well-being and of individuals and families. And it goes back to what is nursing assessment, right? We have, and that goes back to Florence Nightingale. What does it mean to do an assessment that looks not only at the physical, but at the, you know, the bio, the physical, psychosocial, spiritual dimensions? And that brings us right back to the primary health agenda, which brings us right back to Florence Nightingale, who always said, you know, that uh, nursing is about putting people in the best condition for nature to act upon them. In other words, she also said that she looks to the day when there is nursing not for the sick, but for the healthy you know, brings us back to well-being, health and well-being, and mental health well-being, and so on. So the opportunities that we have as individual nurses, with every single contact that we have with an individual, of understanding who they are in the context of their family and their environment and their community, is the assessment, the biopsychosocial spiritual assessment that we do that then determines what is the work that is needed by whom, it's not all by nurses, in order to help them be the, in the best health that they can be. And um, I think if we keep remembering that that's the value of nursing to society, then we will always produce great nursing leaders. That's so beautifully said. And, uh, you know, I love that you talk about getting back to basics in a lot of ways. Yeah, I think every nurse should read notes on nursing. Yes, yes, I would agree with that 100%. <laughs> and recognizing that we are in the year of the nurse and midwife, and we are in the middle of the second wave of COVID-19. What would you say needs to happen for nurses to manage all of that with COVID while still also getting back to those basics? Well, I think COVID is a perfect example of how we can get back to basics because it's not just about uh, managing the, you know, physical conditions of people who present with COVID and so on, or yeah. teaching prevention of, of the physical um, but understanding the amazing, incredible um, uh, mental health impacts, psychological impacts that COVID has had on individuals and families as a result, not just of disease, but of loss of employment, loss of uh, social interaction and so on and so forth. What better opportunity than for nurses to um, uh, really focus not only on that treatment aspects that are associated with managing COVID, but the whole psychosocial, spiritual well-being of individuals who may not even be experiencing the disease, but are experiencing a lot of the effects of having the disease in the community, loss of job, loss of, loss of status, um, you know, whatever the case may be. This is really a time for nursing to re-emerge as um, as a, an essential, essential um, aspect of what it's going to take to help individuals and communities 
improve and become healthier as we navigate our way through this horrendous pandemic. We have to remember that Florence Nightingale also started as a result of epidemics of various types of things, right? Professional nursing emerged was either during epidemics of, you know, surgical infections during the Crimean War or epidemics of cholera in London as a result of the lack of hygiene and so on. So nursing has always been very closely tied to uh, dealing with pandemics and epidemics and so on and so forth. It's our time again. I think that's a really inspiring point in that in the dark times, that's where nursing can really emerge and take front, uh, take their place front and center in the health and well-being of individuals. I just want to give you the opportunity and um, if you can share some advice to our nursing leaders out there right now. You know, based on my experience, experience as a manager, as a nurse researcher, the best advice that I can give is help all of the individuals who are working with you um, to be the best that they can be. Everybody wants to be a star. And I think sometimes that we allow people to be mediocre. Um, We don't expect enough of people. And as a consequence, they don't deliver as much as they can and they don't realize their own potential and leadership is about developing the potential in others that's always what the leaders that with whom i've been in contact with have done for me they've helped me develop my potential and if they hadn't pushed me to be better than i thought i was i wouldn't have gotten to where i am Thank you so much, Jan, for being here. I appreciate you sharing your amazing career with us and some of the things that you've learned along the way. Uh, I appreciate your time. It's been my pleasure, Leah. Thank you very much. Thanks so much for joining us today at Central Line, Leadership in Healthcare. Also, if you like what you heard, please head on over to Apple Podcasts to leave us a review. Be sure to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. We'd love to get to know you on social media, so check us out on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram.